This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve, the show that seeks to equip you with fruits of truth from God's word. The Bible, 66 books, infallible, inerrant in the original writings. And so in reality, we can get a lot more than just fruit from that word, can't we? We can get meat, the good stuff, the stuff that sustains, the stuff that strengthens us. That's why we need to be in the word daily, ladies, not as a legalistic thing like, oh no, I didn't read my Bible today. Oh, I'm not doing so well. But realistically, we eat every day, don't we? I hope we do. If we don't, please talk to your doctor. Um, But we need to be eating spiritual food every day. And that is found in God's word in the Bible. That is God speaking to us and we speak to him through prayer. So I hope that you're finding at least a little time, maybe a little bit more than that, to read and to study God's word. So I'm your host, Erin Benziger. You can find Equipping Eve online because we can't avoid it. So equippingeve.com or .org, both addresses get you to the same place. Twitter, Facebook, search for, you guessed it, Equipping Eve. Hey, creative, I know. So if you check out the website, that's where I post every podcast episode. So you can find them there. You can search on them if you're looking for a certain topic. If you have any specific questions, you're having trouble finding something, you want to know if we've ever done a show on something specific, please send me an email, equippingeve at gmail.com. Do you see a theme? It's Equipping Eve. There we go. So yes, the podcasts are all posted there at equippingeve.com. But in case you weren't aware, Equipping Eve has its own podcast on iTunes. So if you are a an Apple iTunes user podcast, Apple. So they split the apps up, right? It used to just be iTunes and then it was podcasts and uh, they're doing some weird things there that I don't pretend to understand. I'm a Mac user. I love my Apple products, but I don't understand everything they do with the apps. So anyway, if you use Apple and podcasts, however you're doing that, you can find Equipping Eve right there. And so that updates with every new episode, which is typically every other week. That's what I work towards. Sometimes it doesn't happen because life gets in the way. I'll try to run reruns if we can. Be patient with me. You know, the good news is I know that you are all really busy. So I know you're not sitting around, you know, biting your fingernails waiting for the next episode. I hope you're looking forward to the next episode, but please don't stop everything else in your life while you wait. Okay, so that's that. That's the housekeeping that I try to take care of at the beginning of most shows. So um, speaking of the website, equippingeve.com, there's a resources page there. Um, I don't think it's actually a tab. Do I use tabs on the website? You know, how about that? I don't even know, and I designed it myself. Um, I feel like tabs is something from back in the days of 
blogger and the original WordPress and, you know. Anyway, there's recommended resources. If you go to the menu of Equipping Eve, recommended resources. And I've, I've tried to split these out into four main buckets. And um, just because it's not here doesn't mean it's not good. And just because it is here doesn't mean that I agree with everything that might be appearing on a website or taught by a certain ministry. But in general, these are resources that I trust. So we have resources by ladies for ladies, trusted ministries and blogs. So those could be either men or women um, and, you know, a mixed audience, sermons and podcasts, and then Bible study tools. So take a look at that um, if you're looking for something. Um, and I just wanted to point out one resource that I recently added, and I don't know why it wasn't already on there. Um, that was just my oversight. So it's a blog called A Daughter of the Reformation, and Rachel Green Miller runs this blog, and she does not know I'm going to do this, and I don't even know if she listens to Equipping Eve. Um, but I just wanted to throw this out there, ladies, in case you haven't looked at the recommended resources lately, check out those links. Um, let me know if you have any suggestions for additional ministries that could maybe be added. I'll take a look and see if I agree. Um, if I don't add your link, don't be offended. It's, you know, it needs to go along with what we do here at Equipping Eve. You know, if you send me a link to, um, you know, like a crocheting blog, like where you crochet Bible verses, there's nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't really go with Equipping Eve. So we're just going to leave that somewhere else. I don't know if that exists, but if it does, awesome. Uh, anyway, but A Daughter of the Reformation, I've just really found this to be a helpful blog and a helpful resource. And so I just wanted to point that out to you since it was added a little more recently than some of the others. Um, and Rachel's work and writing on um, the eternal subordination of the sun controversy, that's been really helpful to me. She just writes in a, in a way that um, is very accessible. She has a book coming out um, maybe next year. Um, entitled Beyond Authority and Submission. I'm looking forward to that. So anyway, that's my plug um, for that particular resource. So check it out if you get a chance. Again, if you ever have a suggestion for the website or for the show, something you'd like to hear discussed, um, you know, anything, feel free to send those ideas over to me, ladies. You can contact me through the website, social media. Anyway, okay. I've talked way too much about all that. Sorry. So today I thought I'd actually do a little throwback to the last episode. So when I taped the last episode, I didn't intend for it to be a two-parter. And it, this really isn't a, a second part of that episode. It's just that I happened to come across additional resources that went with the same theme um, or one of the themes that um, we discussed in the last episode. And so I thought, well... You know, providence, let's roll with it. Let's keep going. So if you remember, we kind of ended on a discussion of faithfulness in the little things, really. And we took a look toward the end of the last show at Matthew 25. Let me just read that to you to refresh your memory. So Matthew 25, verse 31 Jesus said, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then he goes on to those on his left, the goats, if you will, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. They will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So where did we go with that? Um, If you remember from there, I read to you very briefly um, some thoughts from... Richard Phillips, his contribution to the book, These Last Days, A Christian View of History. And he had used these verses to really point out that as Christians, we're called to be faithful and to honor Christ in the little things. Now, some people may be called to plant a church or to go be missionaries in a third world country, and and that's fantastic and amazing and wonderful that they do that. And we pray for them and we support them and we encourage them. But even the missionary in the third world country is called to be faithful in the little things, whatever those things look like in his or her life, right? And so Richard Phillips noted of these verses, he says, the only surprise for the righteous in heaven is that Jesus noticed and cared so much about the little stuff that was involved in just being his servants, doing our best to live for him. And it's going to blow us away, he says, how much it means to him. And he concludes these thoughts just saying that, you know, this teaches us that our lives are not about big achievements. Rather, he says, it is the daily ministry, the love we show, the things we do for others because we love Jesus. That's what he cares about. And I think that's really important. That's so practical. And that's why I wanted to come back to it. Because like I said, I ran across some things that had similar themes. And I thought, you know, then this is an important theme. We need to focus on it. And we need to think about it. And um, when I bring a topic like this to you, ladies, it's it's because I'm growing in this area. God's growing me in this area as well. And opening my eyes or convicting me or saying, yeah, yeah you know, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can all do better in this area in the small stuff in the way we treat others in the way we practically live out our theology so there are i dare say a lot of churches out there that are really good at having great doctrine on paper and their statement of faith looks amazing and, you know, or they're, oh, we adhere to the 
1689 London Baptist Confession, which I, you know, I like the 1689. I'm not mocking it at all, but you put these big lofty claims on paper, but when you get down to the nitty gritty and you live with those people and you, I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it, quote unquote, do life with these people and you watch day to day, even the leadership, and you see that that theology is not lived out. You can spout off completely accurate doctrine out of your lips. But if it is not being lived out in your life, it is useless. It is worthless. And you're a liar and a poor witness for Christ. And that's so dangerous, ladies, and that that will kill you spiritually. It will cause you to die a painful, slow, spiritual death in a way. Not that you lose your salvation, but you will just become so impotent in your spiritual life in that type of environment. And so when I see these things, they just, they really strike me um, because they're so important. So we talked about that last time, and then I happened to come across an article um, written by Sinclair Ferguson, who is one of my favorites. So of course, it's going to be amazing. Uh, and this this appears at tabletalkmagazine.com. Um, and the article's titled, The Faithfulness of Christ in the Little Things. And I thought, you know, here we have Matthew 25, where Christ is talking about, how, you know, look at how much attention he pays to just the little everyday things and how we treat people and how we live out our faith. You know, and we don't do things on our own. We don't pull up our own spiritual bootstraps. We're doing this because we've been transformed and renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And Christ lives inside of us, right? The indwelling Holy Spirit lives inside of us and enables us to live these lives. And we will fall short, hopelessly, every single day. Of course we will. But we still strive, we desire to live these lives, and that means faithfulness in the little things, faithfulness in the practical day-to-day. And I thought, faithfulness of Christ in the little things, this is great. Let's see what he has to say. So I won't read all of this, but I'm going to skim through this article by Ferguson. He writes, it is a principle in Christ's kingdom that one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. But in that kingdom, the Lord Jesus also practiced what he preached. His whole life illustrated, quote unquote, little things faithfulness. The theme merits book length treatment and this brief essay is intended simply to encourage us all to notice some of the little things we may have tended to overlook in the life of the Savior. Well, that had me hooked. So here, Sinclair Ferguson lists five things. Um, five illustrations of faithfulness in Christ's life when he walked the earth. He says, Jesus was an Exodus 20, 12 boy. He observed the command to honor your father and your mother. We know this was already true of him when he was only 12. When Joseph and Mary took him to the Jerusalem Passover feast that year, they actually lost him. And then he quotes the scripture, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but then they began to search for him. When they eventually found him in the temple, Mary's frayed nerves snapped a little. Why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been looking for you, things like that. She blamed Jesus, even though he was their responsibility, but watched Jesus. He gently explained that he had gone to the one place in the city they should have known to find him. Did you not know that I would need to be in my father's house? 
But then Ferguson points out, notice what Luke adds to the story. He says, he, Jesus, went down with them and was submissive to them. Jesus honored his heavenly father's fifth commandment in obeying his earthly parents. He paid detailed attention to all his father's commandments. Again, this isn't a call to legalism, but when we are regenerated and renewed and transformed in our hearts and minds, we desire to live in obedience to God's law because that honors him, because that reflects him. Okay, number two, Jesus was also a Deuteronomy 8.3 man. He lived not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. Jesus believed not only in verbal plenary inspiration, but in obedient verbal plenary feeding. Didn't we just mention this? Oh, it's like deja vu. Each word of his Bible was vital to him. He took a delight in detailed faithfulness. He wanted to know, love, and obey every single word God had breathed out. Number three, he was a Proverbs 16, 23 to 24 speaker. He valued and employed gracious words. They are like a honeycomb sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So people marveled at the gracious words he spoke. According to Proverbs 16.24, such speech has both the sweetness and the medicinal properties of honey. Paul echoes that comment and urges us to follow Jesus' example in Colossians 4.6, where Paul writes, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Jesus paid attention how he spoke, didn't he? He wasn't snarky. He wasn't short. And... Ladies, I'm not pointing fingers. I have three pointing back at me if I point one finger at you. This is an area where I can grow. I'll admit that. I'll I'll confess that. I think we could probably all confess that. And some place where we need to be really mindful of this, ladies, is on social media. Because I can be a very snarky, sarcastic person. And by God's grace, I've really tried to dial that back in recent years. But I see some people, men and women, on social media that are just obnoxious. And I don't care how right you are, it's obnoxious and nobody wants to pay attention to you. And it's funny when women do it because there are men who would condemn women for getting an attitude. But when those women agree with them or agreeing with them on a certain point, then all of a sudden those men build up those women. Oh, they're great. They're fantastic. Let me retweet you, blah, blah, blah. Let's be mindful of that. And let's watch our words that they would be gracious and seasoned with salt. Jesus' speech, says Ferguson, gives the impression of deep and careful thought and a concern for others. Plus, he never seems to have wasted a word. How? because he had the ton of those who are taught and knew how to sustain with a word him who is weary, and his gracious words did so. Number four, our Lord was also an Isaiah 42, 2-4 exemplar. In particular, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Watch his, re- his reaction when tension-filled Martha confronts him and complains that Mary isn't helping with the meal, and Jesus isn't doing anything about it. Martha, Martha, he says. Yes, words of correction will come. But first are the words of deep affection to secure and calm his friend. Think about it. I mean, have you ever thought about Christ in this way? This is why I love Sinclair Ferguson. Number five, Jesus was, on his own confession, a Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 Savior. He was indeed gentle and lowly in heart. He treated the sick as though they were his own family. He was gentle in the way he approached widows as though they were his mother. 
He was lowly in heart and his attention to the little people, the poor, the sick, and yes, also the children. And indeed, isn't that what he comments on in Matthew 25? Those little people, you clothed the poor, you visited me in prison. These are not big stage things, but little details. It is surely significant that a man who reviled him was converted by watching the way he died. Think about that. And Ferguson ends this article. He says, Our Lord's faithfulness in little things then was simply the reflection of the perfect beauty he saw in the face of his father as he listened eagerly to what he had to say. May that be true for us also. And I would just echo that with a hearty amen. And I love how Sinclair Ferguson is highlighting Christ's faithfulness in the little things here. I mean, of course, Christ was faithful. He was perfect. He was God incarnate. And of course, we can never imitate him perfectly because we'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But what a model. And to see the gentle way he corrected and to see how carefully he measured his words to see how he obeyed his parents and ultimately his father's law and how he was a reflection of his perfect father in heaven. May this be true of us also. And I started thinking about this and, you know, here's Christ faithful in the little things. because he is reflecting his father. We are to reflect Christ. Think of how God has been faithful to you in the little things. I mean, forget the big things because I'm quite certain he's been faithful to you in the big things too. He has to me. But think of the little things, the little tiny, seemingly insignificant things that you would not think that God cares about. And yet he is intimately involved in the details of our lives. You know, at the end of the day, no, he doesn't care what job you take as long as you're not sinning by, you know, by your choice. Um, can you honor him in both jobs? You can. Great. He doesn't care ultimately which job you take, but he has ordained that and he will use you in whichever job you do decide to take. He doesn't care which house you buy or which car you buy or what school you attend. So long as you're not sinning with your choice. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean that he is not involved in those little choices, which most of those seem like big choices to us, but he's still involved in those little things. Think of, surely you have at least one day in your life that you can think back on and how the events of that day were ordered in such a way that it was for his glory and for your good. You know, even if it was you were going to run to the store at 10 a.m. and something happened and you couldn't go until 3 p.m. and then you happened to run into someone at the store and you were able to have a spiritual conversation with that person and share the gospel. Would you think that that wasn't already figured out, that you wouldn't go at 10 because that person wasn't going to be there at 10? That's God's faithfulness in the little things. Or how you've maybe avoided disaster because God's taken care of you and ordered your steps in a different way. And it doesn't always happen. Sometimes we don't avoid disaster. And that's his will too. But in all of it, he is faithful to us. 
we, we can never look back and say, well, God was unfaithful to me in such and such circumstance. Never, never. I defy you to do that. God is always faithful to us, even in the little things. So shouldn't we be faithful to him even in the little things? So when I got to the end of this article, there was another one linked um, by David Mathis called Faithfulness in the Little Things Where We Are Called. And Mathis writes, Henry had a derelict father who distracted himself with fishing and hunting. Lazy and irresponsible, he sent young Henry off to boarding school, left him to be taken in by the headmaster, and came to sign his letters uncle instead of father. And yet for Henry Francis Light, who would grow up to become a good pastor and celebrated poet, the gospel of Christ redeemed what it means to have a father, labor under his warm smile, call on him as Abba, and long to see him face to face. So this man ended up writing, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. And in that hymn, he commends fellow Christians to find joy in every station. In other words, writes Mathis, God is big enough for even our smallest tasks. He is holy enough to sanctify even our most menial moments. He is great enough to give significance even to the little things of our lives. And then in that we find joy, even in those little things, not just in the big moments when we get a promotion, you know, or... I don't know, whatever, that's, that's, that's the illustration that comes to my mind. But even in, he says, the smallest, most menial, seemingly insignificant moments, the little things matter, he says, and our failures in them show how we are underestimating the bigness of our God. Regardless of how small the matter, the God of Psalm 139 sees, knows, and cares. So J.C. Ryle um, once published a series of children's sermons called Stories for Boys and Girls, in which he writes, Oh, my dear children, who can tell the power of the littles? The power of littles is very wonderful. No one knows what can be done by a little and a little and a little. Oh, the importance of little habits, habits of reading, habits of prayer, habits at meals, little habits through the day, all are little things, but they make up the character and are of utmost importance. Again, the little things that build us, that grow us, that strengthen us, the little things, spending time in God's word each day that builds us and strengthens us and grows us. And in all of those insignificant moments, in your morning time at home, when you go to work during the day, or ladies, maybe you stay home, you're cleaning your house, you're taking care of your children, I apologize. I have a job, so that's usually at the forefront of my mind. But in all of this, we are performing insignificant, seemingly insignificant tasks, and yet we have a choice to be faithful or not in them. And if we choose faithfulness, we find joy. Uh, Mathis goes on, he's talking about um, growing up, his father was a dentist, and then he says the little things add up over time, like how we treat our employer's property and resources, how diligently we work when off-site or out of sight, whether we abound with words of encouragement to employees and coworkers, and whether we are willing to pause our own productivity to listen. 
Will we give an extra few minutes to clean, clean up a common space or honor others' time by being on time or early, or by not calling unnecessary meetings or letting them drag on past the point of diminishing returns? These sound like insignificant things, but again, these are things that we can choose faithfulness in. And again, like I said, ladies, I, I have a full-time job, so this is often where my um, examples will go, so I apologize for that, but we can apply this to those who stay home and who run the house and keep the house clean and prepare meals and take care of the children and all of that. You know, when I go to work, I can choose to be faithful in even the little things. There are a lot of frustrating things at work. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you work, how much you like your job. You will be frustrated and annoyed. There will be people who really grate on your nerves And ladies, even if you don't have a job, you have this too, right? You know, maybe it's, maybe it's even someone at church who just really rubs you the wrong way. Or, you know, one of your um, kids, friends, parents, or, you know, that you um, encounter at school functions or, you know, someone at the grocery store or whatever. But we can choose to be faithful in those moments and reflect Christ, reflect our Heavenly Father the way Christ reflected his Heavenly Father. And, you know, people notice that. People notice that. Our lives are witnesses, and we can't forget that. You know, this isn't um, that lame, pithy saying, this is, you know, um, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Well, that's dumb, because you have to use words to preach the gospel. But you can not live the gospel, but live the effects of the gospel by showing yourself to be a renewed, transformed, regenerated person. And again, we're going to fail at that miserably every hour, every second. But we can desire and strive to live in such a way that honors God, that glorifies him because he has saved us and he has changed us. And people will notice. I was in a job a couple years ago where I was put on a project with a very difficult team. They didn't know me. They didn't trust me. They didn't think I knew what I was doing because I was new. And I had to work to show them that I knew what I was doing, that I could do the job well, and we could succeed as a team, and that I was willing to work with them as a team, and that I needed their support as much as they needed me. And it was really hard work. You know, we were all, we weren't even in person. We were all over the phones. We were all different locations and it was hard work. And they were mean to me at first, really mean. I hung up from calls crying, but I did a lot of praying during those calls that God would just keep me calm and keep me focused. And you know what? Eventually, after a couple of weeks, they realized, oh, Aaron can do the job. Oh, we can work as a team. Oh, we can be successful. And we ended up having a really good rapport. And we laughed together. And we had good memories. And we were successful. And ladies, I'm here to tell you I could not have done that without Christ. I could not have done that without him because my nature would have been to just fire right back instead of being calm and responding in a God-honoring way. And so that's just one example from my own life. And 
not every example is that great. But one example from my own life of how just faithfulness in the little things, you know, how can we make this successful and how can I honor God in the way that I have this conversation so that the work still gets done, but God is honored and we can come together as a team. And, you know, sometimes you're going to behave in that God-honoring way and things aren't going to work out. People still aren't going to like you because they're going to hate Christ in you. But that's okay. We're still called to honor him in the little things. There may always be that other parent, no matter how nice you are to her, who just does not like you. Just be faithful. Honor Christ in all of those conversations. It's easier said than done, I know. But ladies, again, we don't do this on our own. We do this because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how we can do it. And that's what's so key to remember. This isn't up to you. God doesn't save you and say, okay, good luck. Good luck with that as you try to reflect me in this earthly life. That's not how this works. We do this because we are indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness in the little things. Turn with me, ladies, to Luke 19 very quickly here as we close. Luke 19, verse 11, Jesus is telling a parable. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, there are multiple applications we can pull from this particular parable, but faithfulness in a very little, ladies, and this doesn't have to just refer to sharing the gospel where we go. This doesn't just have to refer to stewarding our spiritual gifts. This is faithfulness over whatever God has given us, and everything comes to us from God, doesn't it? J.C. Ryle says about verse 17, about being faithful in a very little, he says, The sum given to each servant was undoubtedly very small, but our Lord would have us learn that however small a man's gifts and opportunities, he is as much accountable for using them rightly as if they were very great. 
and he would have us know that the poorest and the humblest Christian, if he uses his one pound well, shall be as carefully noticed and rewarded as the mightiest king. Faithfulness in the use of what we have, however little, is what Christ requires at our hands. I thought that was interesting and helpful, ladies, as we close these thoughts. Remember, we are called to reflect Christ. And what did Christ do? He was, as Sinclair Ferguson said, the reflection of the perfect beauty he saw in the face of his father. May that be true of us also. All right, ladies, that's all for today. Until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening.